0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. Today, we're going to resume our series called Eyewitness. We are experiencing, um, or exploring rather, the appearances. That's when you take the word explore and appearance, and put it together. We're experiencing. We are exploring the appearances of Christ to the early believers during the first 40 days after the resurrection. The first week of this series, we pieced together this timeline out of the four observations of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think we did a pretty good job with it. It may not be exactly accurate. There's no way exactly for us to tell, but, but we discovered that Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus alive, though she was not permitted to touch him. He said, you cannot touch me. And, and eight days later, we see a different instance where Thomas was encouraged to touch his nail-scarred hands and put his hand into his side where they pierced him. And I told you that Mary needed faith enough to let Jesus go, to believe that he is alive even when she can't see him. But Thomas needed faith enough to grab hold of Jesus and not let go. And I'm just thankful that he meets us wherever we're at. That's where he meets us. On week two, we looked at how the resurrected Jesus was made known to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it didn't happen until after the scriptures were opened up to them. If you remember, uh, after their eyes were opened, they said, "Did our hearts not burn within us as he expounded upon the scriptures?" And so he takes them through the Old Testament. It says through the books of Moses and all the prophets, and he expounded upon all the verses uh, concerning himself. And so all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled that. And and then they get to the house. He was acting like he would continue walking. They invite him inside. When he gets inside, he takes over, he becomes the host, he takes the bread into his hands, he blesses the food, he breaks the bread, he gives the bread, and, and, and immediately their eyes are open and they recognize that it's Jesus. Jesus had been walking with them all of that time, and, uh, and, and he became known to them through, through opening the scriptures and the breaking of bread. It's important. And then last week we took a hiatus from this series for Mother's Day, but today we're going to dive back into it, and we're going to continue with this series but I need to ask you, have you ever had a disagreement or a falling out with someone and then it was just swept under the rug? Like there's no closure, no, no, no finalization to it. It, it. it happens and nobody wants to talk about it. You know, this happens a lot in marriage. It does. You'll have a disagreement. You can't come to an understanding. So it, we, we like to title it like this, we agree to disagree. No, the real deal is you still disagree. You're just not talking about it. And, and, and this happens, it happens on our jobs, it happens with our kids, it, it happens in friendships. Many times we will have a falling out with someone and we just choose not to talk about it and we sweep it under the rug. There was this, there was this time in high school, it, it was the one and only fight that I ever got into in high school and it really wasn't a fight because I don't think a punch was thrown. But there was this, this guy that I knew, he was an acquaintance of mine, we had a lot of mutual friends, his name was Greg. Um, I say that his name is Greg because it was his actual name. His name was Greg. I didn't change any names to protect the innocent because Greg wasn't innocent. So Greg and I, we, we didn't like each other very much. We just didn't care for each other. And it was evident to all of our friends, our friend group, we, we, we had a lot of the same friends, liked a lot of the same people, but but man, we just could not get along. Always bickering at each other, always, always just fussing. And one day it came to a head at school. It was it was first period. It came to a head, and we just both decided today's the day we're going to get this thing over with. And so after school, we're going to meet beside the gym, and, and we're going to duke it out, man. This 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 thing's going to be over. One of us is going to be left standing, and I knew it was going to be me, so I wasn't worried about it. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. When I arrive at the side of the gym. It seems like the word had traveled throughout the school and there is a big group of people there to watch me and Greg whip each other's butts. And so they're in a big circle. I don't know how people know to do this, but it's like a natural thing that happens. They're in this big circle and I kind of make my way through and there's Greg standing there in the circle. And we start talking smack to each other, you know, just just saying some choice words like God bless you and your hair looks nice today. I think I looked at him and said, I like your hypercolor shirt. It's really cool. Can I put my hand right there? Oh, look, look. You know, there's, there's some in the room that they're like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Google it, hypercolor t-shirts. They were the thing. But, um, you know, we, we, we said some things to each other, and I think we both noticed a teacher walking our way because that's when we both got up the courage to actually, like, dive into the fight. It's like it's a lot of smack talk until we see the teacher because we know she's going to break this thing up. And so we just kind of dive into each other. No one threw a punch. We just kind of locked arms and you know, we're just kind of struggling that way. She comes over, she breaks us up, sends us on our way. The next morning, we're both called to the office. I'm not going to go into the details of that because that's a story all in itself for another day. But um, Greg and I never talked about it. Like, we never confronted the issue and we just continued to, to, to hate each other, man. We would, we would walk into the same room or to the same building or the same friend group. And, and we just knew that we couldn't stand each other. And about a year, year and a half later, I moved away. And and fast forward, and guess who never became friends on Facebook? Greg and Rocky. We're just not going to be friends. I don't know. I don't know what he, if he's watching, man. I I just don't like you. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> you were a jerk then. I'm sure you're a jerk now, but. I'll I'll answer to God for stuff like that one day. I know I will. I know I will. But Greg's not watching me. I can assure you. Greg didn't like me. But we can all agree it's not healthy, right? It's not healthy to just sweep stuff under the rug because eventually it resurfaces and, and it causes more problems. Our text today is one of those instances where Jesus sets the example for us to follow. There's this potential animosity between a resurrected Jesus and a very ashamed Peter. Because Peter messed up. And and rather than sweeping it under the rug, what you're going to realize is that Jesus confronts the issue. He, he, he wants to talk about it with Peter, and he ends up having one of the, the, the best heart-to-heart conversations that humanity has ever had. But before we get that, we need to go back in time, and, and we need to, to, to look at the night that Jesus was crucified. So we're going to go back before his death, and we're going to look at the night um, that he was arrested and, and so Matthew chapter 26, verses 30 through 35, this is not my main text. It's going to feel like it, but it's not. My main text is going to be John chapter 21. We'll get there eventually. So if, if you're going to follow along and you're only picking one, one chapter, go to John 21 and we'll get there eventually. But Matthew 26, 30 through 35 kind of helps set, set it sets up the scenario for us. So, so listen to this, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's important. He said, after I am resurrected, he said, you're going to meet me in Galilee. I'm going to go before you. I'll find you in Galilee. Verse 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. It's kind of like Peter, and Peter does this often. If you've ever studied the life of Peter Peter often says what the whole room is thinking. I don't know why he had such courage to open his mouth, but Peter would often say what everyone else is thinking. And it's kind of like he's the chairman of the discipleship committee in this moment because he says what everyone else is thinking and everyone else agrees. So all the disciples are like, we're not going to deny you. Even if it costs us our lives, we will not deny you, Jesus. And I can almost imagine Jesus sitting there shaking his head going, okay. Okay, we'll see. That's not in red in your Bible. That's that's my my paraphrase. But but I'm telling you, I I, I picture Jesus going, okay, you're talking big right now, but but we'll see. And and from there, Jesus leads them out of this, this upper room, this conversation they're having in an upper room in Jerusalem, and he leads them across the Kidron Valley and, and, and to the Mount of Olives and, and eventually into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray. And, and when he gets ready to pray, he tells three of his closest friends who happen to be disciples, he tells uh, Peter, James, and John, he says, I need you to stay awake and keep watch. It's, it's the middle of the night, and, and he knows that they're going to come and arrest him. But he's got some serious praying to do. I mean, this is that prayer where, where he looks to heaven. And he says, you know, Father, I, I, know, I know that I've, I've got to die. But if there's any other way I can do this, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That happens during this prayer. Three different times, Jesus comes back from praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to his friends that he's asked Peter, James, and John, please keep watch for me. Let me know if you see anyone coming. Keep watch. Three different times he comes and he finds them sleeping. Think about this. Men that say, it's lip service, men that say, I'm willing to die for you, can't even stay awake for him. Hmm. After this, Jesus is arrested and they haul him off to to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 58 tells us that Peter followed at a distance and he stops in the courtyard. Like he doesn't want to get too close to the situation. Inside the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, they are interrogating Jesus. They are trying their best to get him to say something. That will incriminate him. They, they need something. They need some more information. They need some more evidence. You know, if, if he will just claim that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, if, if we can just get him to say the right thing, then, then, then we'll be able to hold him in contempt. And so they're, they're ripping his robe. They're slapping him across the face. They're plucking his beard. They're saying that he deserves death. Listen to this. Luke 22, 54 through 62 says, Then they seized him and led him away. "'bringing him into the high priest's house, "'and Peter was following at a distance. "'And when they had kindled a fire "'in the middle of the courtyard "'and sat down together, "'Peter sat down among them. "'Then a servant girl, seeing him "'as he sat in the light "'and looking closely at him, said, "'This man was also with him, "'but he denied it, saying, "'Woman, I do not know him. "'A little later, someone else saw him "'and said, "'You also are one of them, "'but Peter said, "'Man, I am not.' And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. He probably, his accent or something, gave him away. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Church when you realize that God is watching it humbles you. When you realize that he sees all and he knows all it will change the way that you live your life. When you finally come to the, the, the revelation and the realization that, that God almighty sees you In every aspect of your life, he he knows exactly what's going on with you. When you come to that realization, it will cause you to curb your lifestyle in honor and respect to his holiness. But until you come to that realization, you'll live life how you want to until you realize that a holy God is watching every moment. Have the orphanage that we support in Guatemala, we haven't been recently because of COVID and, and we probably need to go back soon but at that orphanage there's this rooster that i can't stand (laughs) and and i don't know if if it's the same rooster he seems like every time i've ever been there three or four times i don't don't know exactly but but every time i've been there he's been there or if it's a different one like if they i don't know i don't know if they you know bring their necks cook them and eat them or something i don't know if if there's a second rooster you know like rooster two. The first one taught him how to be obnoxiously loud also in the middle of the night. Because this rooster, it gets on my nerves because his internal clock is whacked. It's messed up. I'm telling you, he will crow at all hours of the night. And it feels like he's trying to do his job, but he's just a little overanxious. And here's what happens. I'm convinced this is what happens. Because you sleep with the windows open, you know, because the, there's no AC. So you let the, the air uh, flow in. And I'm convinced that every time he sees headlights coming down the road, this thing wants to crow. Like he, see, he thinks it's the sun. He's just dumb as a box of rocks. And, and he just crows every time. I think lightning, like heat lightning across the sky. And he's like, there's the sun. You know, And it happens. He gets on my nerves. I can't say I can't sleep like that. And, and he's, he's crowing all through the night. <clears throat> it has been said that a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. And it certainly was for Peter. Think about that look. Scripture says that when the rooster crowed that third time, that Jesus turned and looked at him. They locked eyes, man, and he realized he sees me. He knows me better than I know myself. What a look. I used to play paintball. Don't invite me. I don't want everyone to go again. But there was a group of guys in Tampa... That I used to play paintball with. I was a youth pastor back then, much younger, <clears throat> so I could like climb trees, you know, climb under stuff, and I don't, we were dumb. Like we would get on the ground and you know sneak up on people and stuff. I have no desire to do any of that anymore. I was much younger, <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me. But there was a there was a, a group of guys in my youth group. We would go play paintball sometimes together, and within that group of guys, there were four brothers. Uh, Four of the five Solberg brothers. The fifth one wasn't there because he was serving, which, you know, in in some military format, and that's, that's like, designed for them. That's what they do. Because these guys were intense. And and I remember that they all had high-powered guns while the rest of us, we had these really weak guns. And I didn't even have one. I had to borrow one from someone. And so... When we would play, I mean, they, they would climb up in trees and, like, sniper, pick you off. I mean, you had no idea where these guys were, were at. They were, they were that remarkable at it. And, and the last game of the day, we were playing capture the flag. All you got to do is grab the flag. That's all you have to do. And somehow, three of those four Solberg brothers ended up on, on one team, and me and the youngest, he wasn't even old enough to be in our youth group yet, little guy, his name was Caleb. And little Caleb Solberg was on my team, and everyone else in our team had been hit. They're out of the game. And we find ourselves near their flag, near the flag, and, and, and there's a, a huge fallen tree and a ditch. And we're sitting with our backs against the tree. And knowing that his, his three older brothers with high power guns are ready to pick us off. They're ready to take us out. And, and, and I devised this plan because I'm brilliant. I mean, I'm, I am. I, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a military mastermind. Though I've never served <laughs> And I said I said little Caleb Here's what we're going to do buddy I said it's just me and you left there, there's, there's four or five of them And, and, and they're ready to shoot and, But here's what I'm going to do I'm going to sacrifice for you man I said, I'm going to jump up out of this ditch. When we count to three, I'm going to jump up out of this ditch, and I'm going to stand on top of this tree, and I'm just going to go Rambo on them, man. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not even going to aim. I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do, man. And when that happens, they're all going to aim at me because everyone wanted to shoot me. And I said, I'll just take it, man. Paint balls out. When I do that, you jump up and you run stealth mode, man, and just fast as you can. You're the fastest one out here, and you grab that flag. Can you do that, Caleb? I can do it, Pastor Rocky. I can do it. I said, this is what I need you to do, man. Don't back out on me. He says, I'm not, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, Caleb, are you ready? We've got to do this. He said, I'm ready. I said, okay, man, on three. You ready? I said, one, two, three. Let's go. Caleb jumps up. I mean like lightning. He has the, the courage of, 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 a, of a grizzly bear. I mean, this little guy is running as hard as he can towards that flag. Me, on the other hand, <sighs> I wimped out, man. Because as I said three and go, I just, I knew those paintballs were gonna hurt from those high-powered guns that they had. I didn't mean to. I really wanted to do this. It, even as I'm counting, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do it. But some, for some reason, my legs wouldn't allow me to. And I sat there. I did not move. And they lit that kid up <laughs> from top to bottom, man. They lit him up. I felt so bad. It was, it was, I meant to be courageous. I did. I, I meant to be courageous. But in the heat of the moment, I failed. I failed me. I failed Caleb. Peter meant to be courageous. He meant what he said. I will die for you, Jesus. He meant to be courageous, but in the heat of the moment, that is what got him. Let's fast forward now. After his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus appeared a couple of times to his disciples. And and, and we know that he appeared one time to the disciples in a room um, he, he, he just walks right through the door He didn't even open the door He just walks right in and, and Thomas is not there And so we know he appears a second time In a room And Thomas is there And he lets him feel the scars in his hands and his side So that's two appearances to the disciples But this is that third appearance And, and on this third appearance Jesus is determined to get it all out in the open with Peter the first two times that he was there, you know, they're still kind of in the shock of, hey, this, Jesus is resurrected. You know, our master, our rabbi, he's alive. And, and he chose not to confront it there. But, but in this third, third appearance, Jesus d- determines in his heart that this has to happen because he knows the conversations they've had. If you remember just a few weeks before his, his, his crucifixion, He takes his disciples, the only time that we know of that they ever went to the the evil city of Caesarea Philippi. And while they're in Caesarea Philippi, they're standing there looking at at this cave called the Gates of Hell, where where satanic rituals are taking place. It, it It was just a terrible, terrible demonic place. And and as he's standing there, he looks at the disciples, and specifically in a conversation with Peter, and he says, and Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he puts the significance on Peter's life, like you are going to be great one day. In this movement, you are going to be great. Now, the Catholic Church said that he was the first pope. He had no idea he was the first pope, but Jesus was placing significance on his life. Peter, I'm I'm, going to need you. If we're going to win the world with the gospel and the good news of what I'm doing for them, Peter, I'm enlisting you. You have to be ready for this. And So Jesus can't ignore this. He cannot ignore that Peter has denied him three times just as he said that he would. It's got to be confronted, but I feel like Peter in this moment just felt disqualified because when a person feels like they've disobeyed God, they usually do one of two things. The first thing that some people do is, is they run to God. This is a great thing. It's conviction. Conviction is a wonderful thing, guys. Just don't ignore it. Because when you ignore conviction, that's when you're going to start really sinning against God. Conviction is great. It draws us back into God. And so some people, they run to God because of that conviction. The, the other thing, the, the opposite side of the coin of that is they run from God. That's condemnation. Condemnation. That's not brought on by God, that's brought on by the enemy of your soul. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it from its own. And so condemnation will force us to run from God. We'll run from God, and when we run from God, often we will return back to to some of the things, the former way of life, the way that we were before we met Jesus. How many times, church, have we witnessed someone fall off the wagon, make a mistake, fall back into sin, and instead of of, of getting back up on the horse or or, or getting back to where they were with Jesus in their walk with Christ, they go back to their old ways before Christ, to their old habits and their old lifestyle. And we see Peter do this. Peter goes right back to the life where Jesus found him fishing. And we finally made it to our text. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Let's pause there just for a moment. Seven of the disciples of Christ, seven of the eleven that are left, are present at this encounter. We know that that Simon Peter is there. We know that Thomas was there. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, that's the one that was witnessed to by Philip and, and, and brought to Jesus. Uh, it tells us that the sons of Zebedee, James and John, sons of Zebedee, some fishing partners of Peter, and, and his brother Andrew, they're there. Um, but then it says that there's these two unnamed disciples. And I just had to, to wonder, you know, what, what did they do to tick John off that he wouldn't even include their names? Like he lists everybody else out, but he's like, these two guys? You yeah. know, I'm sure one of them was named Greg, but we'll keep going. Um, when Peter said, I am going fishing... We're not sure exactly. We're not made privy to it, but, but I, I don't think that it was just like a pastime, like a hobby. I don't think that's what's happening here. Or I, I don't think that it's just that he's hungry and he, he wants some seafood. I, I don't think that's it. I think it probably has to be that he returned to the family business. Matter of fact, it, it talks about it a little bit more in detail and alludes to that. Um, he returns to what he knows. To, to what he knows will provide for the family, to what will put food on the table, what will pay the bills. He returns back to that. Remember, Christ recruited him to be a fisher of men, but he's going back to fishing for fish. Whatever the reason for this fishing trip, it was unproductive, and that night they caught nothing. I, I looked up the Greek word used in the New Testament here for the, the word nothing. It, it is the Greek word oudais, it's pretty amazing what it means in the Greek. It means nothing. No, I'm serious. That's it. It means nothing. Absolute zero. Zilch. It, it actually means, it's a little bit more detailed, not even one is what it means. That's not a good day fishing or a good night fishing. It's frustrating. For those of you that like to fish, you know you at least want some bites. And, and, and if you don't catch not even one, it's, it's just it's a waste of time. I know some of you are like, "Eh, you know, a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work. No, it's still a bad day fishing. You went to catch fish. It's a frustrating day when you go out and you don't catch anything. And at least, at least three of the disciples, we know, at least three of them on the boat were at one time professional fishermen. But we all know men and their egos. I thought all the women would say amen, but you didn't. And we all know men and their egos The last thing that a man needs is for someone to tell him how to fish. It's frustrating. We know it wasn't a good day. Just leave us alone. But to add insult to injury, there's some guy standing on the shoreline that they don't know who he is. And he asked the one question that they don't want anyone to ask. Listen to it. Verse 4, John 21 and verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They said, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This sounds very familiar, because about three years earlier, when Christ was ordained, if you will, as a rabbi, it was now time for him to, to gather his following of disciples, his students that would walk and talk with him. And he, he walks up to Peter's boat. Peter knew who he was, but he wasn't, he wasn't his disciple at the time because, you know, it's like, you know, I know who you are. You healed my mother-in-law. Thanks a lot. And it, it happened. But Jesus walks up. And he gets into his boat, and he says, cast off from the shore a little bit. And they cast off from the shore, and Jesus stands on his boat, on Peter's boat, and he teaches this multitude standing on the, on the shore. His voice would project across the water, and they could hear him. When he finishes teaching, he looks at Peter, and he says, listen, I want you to cast out into the deep and let down your nets so that we can catch fish. And he looks at him, and he says, I know, I know you're a good man. I I know that some great things are coming. But, Master, we've we've toiled all night long. We've worked all night. I'm I'm a professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But then he says these words, but nevertheless, I'll do as you say. They cast out into the deep. And the Bible says that when they let out the nets and began to bring them up, there were so many fish that the nets began to break that Peter had to call for other boats to come. Come on. I I need your help. There's so many fish. And Jesus has a conversation with him, and, and at the end of the conversation, he says two words to him that was life changing. He looks at him and he says, Follow me. It's important. Hold on to that. Follow me. And Peter drops everything. He leaves the family business behind and he becomes a disciple of this rabbi, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, this sounds very familiar. The whole experience that's happening here, and, and, and this triggers something in John's memory as they're on this boat in John chapter 21, and he tells Peter, he says, listen, listen, there's only one other person that's ever told us how to fish, and it was Jesus. Peter, that's the Lord. That's Jesus. John chapter 21, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. There, there it is. Work, not pleasure. He returned back to the family business and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards away. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now we get to the confrontation. Jesus is going to refuse to allow it just to be swept under the rug because if you just sweep it under the rug, it's going to be a problem later on. And he's got great hopes and dreams for Peter and the early church. Ever since Peter had denied his association with Jesus on the night he was arrested, it had not been confronted. They'd stood in the same room twice, no one mentioned the betrayal. But standing on that shore three weeks after the resurrection, here's the conversation. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask Peter the same question three times? That's that's what we need to know. Why does Jesus repeat this question three times? And it's unfortunate because of our English language that we often get confused with, with the, the verbiage and, 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 and that sometimes we translate Greek words because we don't have any other words so we use what fits best. And, and in this situation, they just keep using the word love over and over and over but that's not what Jesus said over and over. Here's, here's, what, here's how the conversation went down. One word for love that Jesus used is agape. It's unconditional love. This is the kind of love that doesn't ask for anything in return. It's sacrificial love. You don't have to do anything to earn it. They just love you that much. Unconditional love. But another word used in the New Testament, and, and one that was used here in this conversation, is phileo. It's where we get the, 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 the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's different than, than an unconditional love. It's a friendly love. It's warm, it's generous, but it's not completely unconditional And the first two times, church, that that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The first two times that he asked that question, he asked him, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Like like, like family loves each other unconditionally. Like, are you willing to die for me? Do you love me that much? And Peter responds with, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but he responds with phileo. You know I like you, man. You know I like hanging out with you. You know we're good friends. The first two times Jesus asked him that question, he says, do you agape me? Do you, do you unconditionally love me? Are you willing to die for me? And, and he answers him both times with, bro, you know I like you, man. You're a cool dude. But the third time he asks, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Simon do you love me like a friend, like someone you just want to hang out with, like, like there's a condition to it, but, but it's not unconditional? You and the way he responds, now you'll get it, now you'll understand it. He says, Lord, you know all things. You read me like a book. You know me, you know my heart, you see right through me and you know that I'm not there yet. I thought I was. On the night that you were arrested, I thought I was, but I'm not there. I'm not willing to die for this. And, and now you're asking me if I phileo you, if, if, if there's a condition to it, like, like I like you like a good friend, but I'm not willing to die for you. You know all things. And yes, Lord, you know that that's my affection towards you. It's not where it needs to be. That's great. I think that needs to be said. I think it helps us understand the conversation a little bit better, but I want to simplify this. Maybe Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied him three times after he was arrested. Maybe there were three offenses and he just wanted Peter to know that there's grace for all three of them. Maybe it's in this moment that he, he wanted Peter to realize that it doesn't matter if you messed up once, twice, three times, a hundred times. It doesn't matter if you denied me a million times. I will still let you understand that every time you denied me, that, that I still love you and that I still believe in you. And maybe he asked him the question three times just so that he could cover all three offenses with grace. Because that's the way our Jesus works. That's how much He loves us, and that's how much He believes in us. But Jesus did not give up on Him. Listen to verses 18 and 19. This is so good. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. He's talking to Peter in this moment. He says, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He says the same two words that he called him with. When he saw potential in him to be a disciple, when no one else did, to lay down his fishing nets and to follow him the same two words that he said to get him to follow him, follow me, he says in this moment, three years later, after he's denied him, he's, he has witnessed the miraculous, but, but, but he has denied him three times, and now he reinstates him back into the ministry. He, he says, I still believe in you. You still have value in my kingdom, and I want you to come follow me. What do you think, Peter? Follow me. Jesus had to remind him to go fish for people. He says, I know that, that, that you fall back on fishing for fish, but I've called you to fish for people. And like a good rabbi, he does this by asking him the questions, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Even though Peter had denied him, Jesus still believed in him, and he still chose Peter. Romans 5 and 8, Paul tells us, he says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even when we are messing up, he still died for us. I like what he told young Timothy, a young pastor, in in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and, and verse 12, when Paul writes to him and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, here it is, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me to his service. Paul says, he judged me faithfully. How many times have I disappointed God, but he still extends his grace and says, Rocky, I still judge you faithfully. I don't deserve that. Yet, that's what he does for us. He judges us faithfully. January 25th, 2016. It was Caleb and Kendall's senior year of high school. I'll never forget that night. We were playing Dixie County at home. I was an assistant basketball coach at Newberry High School. We're playing Dixie County at home. Can any good thing come out of Dixie County? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's bad. I shouldn't say stuff like that. But I do. And we're playing Dixie County. And and right towards the end of the game, we're down by one. Towards the end of the game, my son is in the game. One of the best shooters on our team. He's in the game, and he gets fouled. We're in the bonus. So he's shooting two. That means they've had 10 team fouls. We're in the bonus shooting two. Caleb. He's a great shooter. If he hits one of the two free throws, we're going to overtime. If he hits both of them, we win the game. I know, I'm like, we're going to beat them. Caleb gets to the free throw line. I've always taught all of my players, always do the same routine every time you get up to the free throw line. He takes two dribbles. He releases the ball and it rims out. And you know what happens in that moment Everything gets tense The whole gym is tense Caleb takes two dribbles on the second shot All he has to do is hit this shot We're going to overtime He shoots Hits the back of the rim And bounces out Time runs out and we lose the game When I get to the locker room, all of the players are sitting on the benches in front of a dry race board waiting on me and the head coach to walk in. And when I walk in, Caleb is sitting over by himself over against the wall, his head covered with a towel. And I know, I know my son. He's crying. He feels like he let his team down, his school down, his dad down, his coach down, his teammates down. He feels, I mean, the weight of the world is on him in that moment. And it, it's painful for me as a father. Man, I'm looking at it going, oh, Man. I hate this for him. It's in those moments that as a parent, you're like, I wish I could trade spots with him. He didn't take the towel off his head. I mean, everyone in the locker room after our team meeting and everyone changes and they all in their street clothes and they all leave. I'm back out in the gym and I I say bye to my my wife and my my daughter. The only people left in the gym are me and, and Marcus, Caleb's best friend who also played on the team. And we're waiting, and finally Caleb comes out of the locker room. He waited till everyone was out of the gym. And he looks at me, and he says, Dad, can you get the key to the, to the closet? Or do you have the key to the closet? I said, I do. He said, can you get me a basketball? I said, yeah. And went and got him a basketball, and he says, I've got to make 100 free throws before I leave the gym. He's got to make 100. At the rate he was going, he just missed two, Right? Me and Marcus stayed there in that gym and rebounded for him. We walk in the door. TV20 News is on. How many of you are thankful for TV20? The pastor said sarcastically as he continued his sermon. TV20 is on, and it's, it's, it's right at the moment where they're showing local sports. A reporter was there that night. He got the whole thing on video. Like, they never covered Newberry basketball, but they did that night and they call my son by name, basically saying he lost the game. It's a horrible feeling, heartbroken for him. Two nights later, we're playing another game. He starts just like he always did, but man, it's, it's getting down to the end of the game. It, it is clutch time. It, I mean, we we got to have people in there with confidence because if, if, if it comes down to fouls, and I know Caleb, I know him, I'm like, oh man, this is all in his head right now. And I'm thinking coach is going to pull him. If coach asks me, I'm probably going to tell him to pull him. Coach never asks, never pulls him. That's his guy. He knows he's one of the best shooters on the team, and he leaves him in. Now, I'd love to tell you that it came down to it, and he hit a game-winning shot. That's not the story. It'd be great, but that's not it. We lost that game, too. Not because of Caleb, but we lost that one, too. The point is, Coach still believed in him. Coach still believed in him. Coach knew he was capable, and he left him in the game. we can fail Christ time and time and time again but he still counts us faithful time and time again he doesn't fire us from the calling he prepares us for the calling and he may ask you sometimes do you really love me And he might turn up the heat sometimes and you might get it wrong. But just understand that he always comes back and he says, follow me. I'm still calling you, follow me. I'm not leaving you out of this thing, follow me. You acted a fool when you shouldn't have but I still believe in you, follow me. You messed up in that first marriage, but but I still believe in you. Follow me. You're financially irresponsible in almost everything you do, but I still believe in you. Follow me. And just every mistake, he just says, it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And he doesn't run out. It's an endless supply of God's grace and his mercy until finally one day you get it right. I'm so thankful that he reinstated Peter. Because on the day of Pentecost, and we're going to get there. We're working our way to that in the series. But on the day of Pentecost, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and preaches his first sermon. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ in that one moment. From a man that just a few weeks earlier denied him three times in one night. And Jesus reinstates him and uses him for the glory of the kingdom of God. Friend, I don't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. And he hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on him. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.